continuing along in the book of Mark, Mark chapter 10. This morning we'll look at the first 12 verses of Mark chapter 10. We have a couple of difficult passages back to back, what we looked at last week and what we looked at or going to look at this week. Uh, but these passages are difficult for different reasons. The passage we looked at last week was difficult because it's kind of hard for us to know exactly maybe what Jesus meant with some of the language that he used. That was the difficulty last week. It was hard to understand Jesus, and it made it difficult. Uh, this week, Jesus' words seem pretty clear, and the clarity of his words make the topic of discussion this morning difficult. So uh, we have some difficult passages back to back. Now, uh, the good thing about expository preaching, that is taking a book and going through it, uh, from start to finish, which is for the most part what we've done for the last five or six years, is you, you only talk about topics as much as the Bible mentions them. You, you talk about them as often as you come to them. Uh, that's a good thing. The bad thing is that sometimes you come across difficult topics that may be hard to understand or hard to teach or preach on, uh, and when you're preaching through it, it's hard to just skip them. you gotta, you got to take the good ones, the encouraging ones, and also the ones that are kind of tough. And if we read the Bible for any length of time, any of us who are Christians uh, or, or even non-Christians, there will be things we will read that are difficult for us, things that apply to our life because we all have sin in our life. It's not all the same sin. Uh, some of us may sin in one way and some may sin in another. And we read about some sins and they may not apply to us or we may not uh, struggle with those. Uh, but there are others that we do. And so there are some things that... Maybe you can pass over that really don't speak to you too much, but uh, if we read long enough, there are things in God's Word that will apply to all of us that will make us all kind of say, uh-oh, that's talking about me. It'll make us kind of feel uneasy and make us feel convicted. Uh, so we're going to uh, read the first 12 verses here of Mark chapter 10. We'll pray, and then we'll jump into the text. So let's read through the text first. Mark chapter 10, verse 1. He set out from there and went to the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Then crowds converged on him again. As he usually did, he began teaching them once more. Some Pharisees approached him to test him. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He replied to them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses permitted us to write divorce papers and send her away. But Jesus told them, he wrote this command for you because of the hardness of your hearts. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, man must not separate. Now in the house, his disciples questioned him again about this matter. And he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. Also, if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning, and I thank you for your words today, and I pray that you would hide me behind the cross, that you would help me to preach and teach in a way that's going to give us understanding, that's going to uh, touch our hearts, dear Lord, that the Holy Spirit would speak through me, and speak to each one of us that you give me just the words to say, God. You know that there is much to be said on this topic more than we have time for this morning. So, God, I pray that you would just 
guide me to say what you want me to say, that you would take over the words that come from my mouth this morning, dear Lord, that you would uh, take away any, any nerves or fear or pride, dear Lord, but that in this moment, God, that you would speak. And I pray, God, that you would open our hearts to hear what your word has to say to us. Even in the tough stuff, dear Lord, we still need to hear it. And I pray that you help us to live by it as best we can. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Here Jesus is addressing the topic of divorce. And divorce isn't mentioned a whole lot in Scripture. It's mentioned a few times in the Old Testament. And it's mentioned a few times in the New Testament. But it's an important topic for us to discuss. Because divorce is pretty much widely accepted in our culture today. There was a time, and some of you remember that time better than I do, when uh, divorce was, was, was kind of a shameful thing, when people uh, weren't really proud of that. But nowadays, uh, that's becoming less and less a case. Divorce is, is not really a big deal. Marriage is something that people do not uh, really uh, take seriously. Uh, and we see that more and more in our world today. Now, the Bible holds a very high view of marriage. The Bible holds marriage really to about the highest view that you can. But our culture does not do so. Our culture does not really care so much about marriage. Our culture will say that, that you can get divorced for any reason or for no reason at all, just because you simply want to get divorced, because you simply want to end a marriage. But when we talk about divorce, we must also talk about marriage and the significance of marriage. Because what marriage is, really, and we don't use this word a lot to describe marriage, but I believe it's the best word to describe it. What marriage is, is it is a covenant between one man and one woman. Now, that is a biblical definition of marriage. That is the definition that if we are seeking to be God's people that we are to live by, and the only definition that we are to accept. That marriage is a, is a commitment, it's a covenant between one man and one woman that is supposed to be for a lifetime. It is supposed to be for a lifetime. There was no intention, as we see in the text, and we'll talk more about, that God ever had for marriage to end. It was supposed to be a commitment that a man was to take his wife and, and a man and a, and a woman were to leave their parents and they were joined to join together and they were to be one and they were to start their own family and to continue to proce the process uh, uh, of producing children and populating the land and they were to love one another and to take care of one another. And we see all of these things spelled out for us throughout Scripture, even into the Old Testament, that the hus or excuse me, into the New Testament that the husband is to take care of the wife and the wife is to take care of the husband and it is a, a relationship where both are to care for one another and put others' needs above their own. And that's a beautiful thing. Marriage is a beautiful thing in Scripture. But like everything that we see in life, sin has, has come in and, and wrecked marriage. And it doesn't just wreck a relationship between two people uh, oftentimes it causes anger. It causes hard feelings. One is angry with the other. Families and friends pick side. If there are children involved, it makes the situation that much more difficult. There are lots of serious consequences that occur when divorce happens. Consequences that people may not even realize. 
consequences that, that, that may fracture people's views on the significance of marriage and the importance of marriage and the importance of commitment and the importance of standing by that covenant. Now, anytime we talk about divorce, uh, it, it, sometimes it can be a touchy subject because there are many people that we all know that are divorced. Now, messages like this are not uh, an attack or a condemnation on those who have divorced. That's simply uh, not the case. Uh, divorce is a sin as well as many other sins, uh, and it is wrong just as any other sin is wrong. Uh, we talk about it today not because I am condemning people who are divorced. We're talking about it today because that is, the, that is the passage that we are on. This is what Jesus is addressing. It's not to say that those who have not uh, divorced or are guilty of the sin of adultery that's being mentioned here. It's not that there is not any forgiveness for that because indeed there is. But I do think that when we talk about marriage, that we need to hold marriage to the highest possible standard, brothers and sisters in Christ, because I think that God holds marriage to the highest possible standard. Now, we come up with a lot of reasons why divorce is okay. I'm unhappy. I'm unfulfilled. My spouse has changed. All of these things that we come up with that may make for a very difficult marriage. But the question is, does God say that these are reasons that divorce is okay? That we can justify leaving a covenant and a commitment that we made with our spouse because we're unhappy or we're unfulfilled or because, even worse, there may be something like abuse of all involved. Now, there's a lot to consider about this topic, far more than we can talk about today. And depending on how far we get, we may discuss this more next week. But oftentimes when we talk about our marriage, especially if it's a, a bad marriage, we, we want to feel justified and we want to feel okay that it's okay to break that covenant that we have made with our spouse and with God and before God. And so we say, well, I don't really care what the Bible says. Surely God doesn't want me to be unhappy and be unfulfilled. Surely he's okay with that. And so what we do, not just with divorce, but with any sin, that, uh, by the way, is we like to think uh, that God is a lot like us. And we have determined what we think is okay. And so, well, God will be okay with that because he's a lot like us in our mind. We've determined that. But what we should do instead of making God be more like us is we should seek to be more like God. And we have a problem with that sometimes in our sin because there are things that we want to get away with, whatever it may be. And so instead of being obedient to God, we say, well, surely God's okay with this. When in oftentimes his word clearly says he is not okay with this. And so instead of bringing God down to our level, we should say, okay, God, there are teachings in your word that are very difficult. But God, I don't want you to be like me. God, I want to be like you. And that's hard to do in life with all kinds of sins, not just divorce. But we need to hold marriage to the highest standard. Now, this is important. This is very important for those of us who are married or for any in this room who think one day you may like to be married. Marriage is to be taken seriously. And I fear that we have failed as a church for many years. I'm not speaking of enterprise. I'm speaking about Christians as a whole. We have really failed in making sure that people understand the significance of marriage. We don't hold them to a high standard. We see marriages that break up, and we may even be guilty of encouraging people to leave their spouse. We don't often hold marriage to the standard that God does. But listen, marriage is something to be taken seriously. 
And if you are not willing to take marriage seriously, then you should not get married. That's just the bottom line. People, people that ask me to do their wedding probably regret asking me to do their wedding. Because I give them a pretty stern message about marriage and commitment. That they know beforehand what they are getting into. You say, well, boy, that's kind of harsh. That's kind of a downer. Yeah, if I can talk somebody out of marriage, praise the Lord. Because if I can talk them out of it before it happened, guess what? It probably was not going to last. It's better not to make a commitment that you cannot keep than to make a commitment and, and fail to keep it. Now, when we talk about marriage, we, we make these vows. That's pretty common that there are some vows that are made. They, they, they are typically maybe a little different in a Christian marriage than any marriage. But whether it's a Christian marriage that's performed in a church or wherever it may be, it really doesn't matter the words that we say. When you come to someone and you say, I am giving myself to you, I'm going to be your husband, I'm going to be your wife, no matter what words are said, that commitment is being made with that person and before God. That commitment is being made and that, that the two become one flesh and the marriage is consummated and a marriage occurs. It does not have anything to do with the state. It does not have anything to do with the church. It doesn't matter what building you're in. It does not matter if the state gives you a license or not. That commitment is made when you make a commitment to another person before God and say, all right, I am yours and you are mine. I'm committing myself to you. Will you commit yourself to me? And when both parties agree to that, then marriage takes place. It doesn't require the state for a marriage in God's eyes to take place. And a piece of paper from the state that says one divorce does not uh, mean that we are divorced in the eyes of God. We might like to think so and feel better about it. Well, I went through the court. I got my certificate. I'm divorced now. Well, not in the eyes of God especially if there has not been any sexual immorality that has occurred. Because when we make that commitment and that covenant between another man or another woman, it is before God and it is to be a lifelong commitment. And we say vows that sound something like this. Most of you have probably uh, spoken some vow that sounds like this before, but our vows will go something like this. I take you to be my husband or wife, to love and to cherish from this day forward, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, for better or worse, until death do us part. Now, I think that we have probably heard those words so many times, and we have uttered those words, we may not even stop to think about what they mean, especially in the moment. When the, when the wedding day comes, there's the excitement, and you the preacher's up there, and you don't even remember what the preacher said. Most of us probably don't have a clue what the preacher said at our wedding ceremony. And we repeated those vows just because he said, repeat after me. And we're not really thinking about the significance of what these vows are, which is why we need to think about that before we get married. For those of us who are married, for those of us who are trying to be godly men and women, when we see our, our, our children and our grandchildren and those we know that are considering marriage, we need to sit down with them and say marriage is a serious thing. Let me tell you how serious marriage is. Let's talk about this commitment that you're about to make, this covenant that you're about to enter into. This is serious before God, and this is something that God does not want us to break off, the covenant of marriage. And when we say these words, these are beautiful words, these are strong words, and these are words that we need to mean. We need to mean 
what we say. For better or for worse. If we all say that, we think, oh yeah, I'm in. I'm in it for the long haul. Because we always expect the better, right? We expect the richer. We expect the better. We expect the good. We can't even imagine when we're going to get married and there's the excitement there and the love is in the air. We can't imagine that there will ever be hard times in marriage. It's always going to be better. It's never going to be worse. But guess what? The worst comes, right? Even in the best marriages, sometimes the worst comes. Sometimes the money runs out. And that's when those vows are really tested. And too many times people uttered those words, but they had no desire to stand by those words. For better or for worse. But that wasn't true because when the worst hits, they hit the road. Because there was no real commitment there. There was no real, there was no real covenant commitment that they made that they were willing to stand by. I'm miserable. I'm unhappy. We don't have any money. She's changed. He's changed. I'm out. I know I said for better or worse, but I didn't really mean it. God holds us to a high standard. God holds us to a standard to love our spouse even when it's difficult. Now, I say that knowing that there are lots of really Difficult situations in marriage. And maybe we'll elaborate on that some this week or next week should we have the time. But I firmly believe that God intends for us with all of our ability to love our spouse even when they are unlovable. You say, well, that's, that's too high of a standard. We can't do that. Let me tell you what God thinks of marriage and how highly he thinks of it is that he says, look, your relationship with Jesus Christ is a marriage. He is the groom and you are the bride. Now think about that for a second. Next time you're struggling in your marriage and you say, how can I love him? How can I love her? Ask yourself this question. How does Jesus love you? Is Jesus always happy with what you do? Are you always a perfect bride for Christ? I would say you're not. Nor am I. But did Jesus say I'm done? He does not. You know why? Because he has made a covenant. He has a new covenant that we have entered into with him. When he gave his life on the cross and we put our faith in him and God says this is what our marriage is to look like. Husbands are to love your wives, and wives are to submit to your husbands, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Think about all the evil stuff that we do. Jesus still loves you. Think about all the horrible stuff that you do. Yet Jesus still serves you. He served you to the point to humbling himself, to being obedient to death, even on a cross. <coughs> And we say, but I can't love him. I can't love her. She's too much. He's too much. Oh, it's hard. And I, I imagine it was hard for Jesus. But Jesus said, I love him. I'm going to give myself for him. I want to build a new covenant with him. 
I want to start a new relationship with them. I want to love them even when they're unlovable. When we talk about marriage, I do hold it to a higher standard. I do think divorce is a sin, no doubt. Other sins are sins. But I believe that, that when we talk about marriage and divorce, we need to realize the way that God speaks of marriage and divorce. Even in the Old Testament, when Israel and Judah were sinning, God said, that's it, I'm going to give them divorce papers. And he said, no, 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 no. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to send them away. Even, if he, even when he wanted to, even when he was fed up, he said, no, they're my children. They're my people. I'm not going to send them away. But this is strong language. This is hard stuff because some marriages are really hard. I'm not talking about you married your husband and all of a sudden, you know, he leaves the toilet seat up and he, and he shaves and he leaves hair everywhere. Like, those things are aggravating. And guess what? Husbands do some things that the wives don't like and wives do some things that the husbands don't like. Those things are, are, are a normal part of life. Those aren't serious things. But there are serious things that occur in a marriage. There are serious things that are very trying for both a husband and a wife. And when those trying times come, we need to think about God's Word and God's view of marriage. We need to think about those vows that we make. It's amazing that people will still make such vows today, but they do. When in all actuality, they really have no intention of fulfilling those vows. They just say them because, all right, tell me what i got to say so I can get that certificate and go on my way. But if people were really honest today... Their vows may sound something like this. I take you to be my husband or wife, to love and to cherish, so long as you make me happy. I will stay with you unless I am no longer being fulfilled. I will not care about your needs because I am more worried about myself. I will be proud to stand by your side so long as you look, so long as you look good. But as soon as your wrinkles appear, you begin to bald and you gain more weight than is attractive, I will treat you poorly and eventually exchange you for a more attractive mate. I will continue to live as though divorce is okay and acceptable in the eyes of God. I will even encourage others to divorce as well because it makes me feel better about the fact that I broke my marriage covenant. I will attend a church in which people will not question divorce and once it is finalized, pretend that there is nothing wrong with me leaving my spouse because I simply wanted another mate. I look forward to spending as much of my life with you as I can bear. And if we make it 10 years together, I would be surprised. But if not, that still leaves me plenty of time to find someone else who I know will make me happier than you. You say, boy, that's harsh. Nobody would ever say that. But people do it every day. People make commitments and they say they're going to love their spouse when in all actuality they have no desire to. As soon as the, the, the going gets tough, they get going. They don't care about their spouse. They don't care to put their spouse first. They don't care to take care of every, spouse, uh, every one of their spouse's needs that they can. They simply do not care. Brothers and sisters in Christ, if you're a husband, you need to take care of your wife. And if you're a wife, you need to take care of your husband. You need to consider others' needs as more important than your own, just as Jesus Christ has done for each of us. If you've made this commitment, then you need to stand by. And if you know other people who made that commitment that are considering divorce, you need to hold their feet to the fire. And they are not going to like to hear it. 
And the same way that you and I don't like to hear sins that we do, that we're called out on. But brothers and sisters in Christ, when we stand before people who get married, who make a commitment to one another, who make a commitment to God, I believe we are accountable to hold their feet to the fire and say, listen, brother, sister, I heard what you said that day. You said in the presence of God that for better or worse, you were going to be there for your spouse. I'm not letting you out. I'm not going to tell you divorce is okay. Even when there are hard times in marriage, God desires restoration. And that's not always easy, and that's not always possible. We got plenty of time. We can we can we ain't even got into the text yet, praise the Lord. We got a lot, a lot of good stuff today. So Jesus was leaving with his disciples. Traveling along, and as people often did, they came to Jesus and they asked him questions. And the Pharisees, they were always trying to test Jesus. And on this occasion that we see today, it was no different. The Pharisees come to Jesus and they were testing him on his views of divorce. Now, the fact that there was a test means that there, it was possible for him to fail the test, at least in their eyes. There was a certain answer that they considered to be a right answer and a certain answer they considered to be a wrong answer, and they wanted to see what Jesus was going to say. Now, if you do any research on, on, on Jewish history, the popular thought is that there were a couple of rabbis of the day, Hillel and Shammai, who had different views. And the Pharisees kind of split and followed those different views. And Hillel's view on divorce was, you can divorce your wife for any reason at all. Now, that came from an improper understanding of the divorce law in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy 24. Now, you can read that if you want to sometime. We won't today for time's sake. But in the first few verses of Deuteronomy 24, Moses permits divorce to take place among the people of Israel. And he permitted it if a husband found some indecency with his wife. Well, what does that mean, some indecency? Well, that was the problem. Uh, it, was, it was widely debated among the Jewish people exactly what that meant. The people who followed Rabbi Hillel, he taught, well, if you find anything you don't like about your wife, you can send her out. She gets too many wrinkles. She burns the dinner. She don't look as good. She don't do the things that you think she should do. Well, you can give her a divorce certificate. You can be, get rid of her for no reason whatsoever, essentially, which is not so different in our world today. That's uh, very similar to what our world is like. The other group allowed for divorce, the, 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 the people who followed uh, Shammai, uh, but, but he, he, his view was, well, divorce can occur, but only in the worst situations, only when there was some kind of adultery or sexual immorality that took place, which is also Jesus' view. Now, we don't see that listed here in Mark's account of this story. As we've seen through most of Mark's uh, story so far, he really simplifies the stories. He keeps them short. He keeps them concise. And for more detail, we have to look maybe at Luke's account or in the, in the Gospel of John or in Matthew's account, and they tend to expound on some of these areas where Mark did not. Now, Mark does not speak of, uh, of, of divorce being okay, or, or excuse me, divorce being wrong, except for in the case of sexual immorality, but Matthew does cover Jesus saying that on multiple occasions. Now, in Matthew 19, we have the parallel account of what's taking place here in Mark 10. 
The details are almost the same in, in, in those accounts. They're a little different order. But really the only difference is, is that Matthew adds the clause that divorce is wrong between a man and a woman unless one partner in the marriage has committed sexual immorality, uh, committed adultery against the other. And in that case, Jesus gives the exception clause that divorce is, is not sinful in that way. He also says the same thing in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus is speaking on divorce there, and he gives the same exception clause. And so these two schools of thought were that you could divorce somebody for any reason, or you could only divorce them uh, in sexual immorality. Uh, and Jesus seems to kind of side more with that second view, uh, but, but, but there's much more to be said about uh, this response than, 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 than that. So uh, he replied to them when they asked him this question to test him. He said, what did Moses command you? And they said, well, Moses permitted us to divorce our wives, to give her divorce papers, and to send her away. And Jesus says, yeah, he did permit you to do that. And the reason he permitted you to do that, in verse 5, he says, He wrote this command for you because of the hardness of your hearts. But, Jesus said, this was not to be this way from the beginning. From the beginning of creation, this was not God's intent for marriage, that marriage would end for any reason, as they believed and many people in our world today believe. Jesus said, even though Moses permitted it, this was not God's design. Now, it could have been that Moses permitted it. The, 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 it's really unclear as to, as to maybe why he permitted it, but Jesus clears it up in saying it's for the hardness of their heart. But even still, I'm not sure exactly what that meant. Some have suggested uh, that by forcing a husband to give a wife divorce papers, that it may have deterred some divorces from taking place. They would have had to go before some official uh, to, who had the, the authority to give this divorce paper and grant this divorce, and maybe that would deter some men from divorcing their wives. Uh, another popular uh, view is that it was for the good of the woman, uh, that, that a woman needed to have some rights and, 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 uh, and still be looked upon as, as, as not just a, a failure of a wife. And by giving a divorce paper that stated, well, there was really no good reason that I divorced her, uh, it helped give her some rights and some privileges in a culture that otherwise she may not have had any rights or privileges in. Because marriage in those days was, was a little different than what we see now. And that a, that, that, a, that a girl was brought up and prepared and ready and saved for the day of marriage. That she was not uh, with any other men and she was waiting for that husband to come. And when the husband would come, the, the father of the bride would give her away. Now we still do that today, but the significance is probably more so traditionally uh, than, than maybe what it actually was in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, or in Jesus' day even, it was a serious thing. Because the father had provided for the girl. He had taken care of the girl. He had done everything for the girl. And now he's giving the girl to the husband who is supposed to take over that role to provide for. And if a husband gets a wife and she saved herself for him and all's going well for six months and he decides he's done with her and sends her away, well, that would be bad news. Where would she go? Who would take care of her? What rights would she have? Well, many have suggested that this uh, divorce paper or certificate that Moses uh, gave the people, that, that he permitted the people to divorce because he knew they were going to do it anyway, God did, and so he gave uh, some grounds to, to help the women. Now, I don't know if that's the case or not. Those are just a couple 
of ideas. But the main point being is that people have hardened hearts. They don't stand by their commitments. They don't stand by their covenant in marriage. They don't care about their husband. They don't care about their wife. And so Jesus said, yeah, Moses permitted that. He allowed it, but that's not God's desire. That's not what God wills for us. And he says, uh, by, by uh, quoting Genesis chapter 2, verse 24 and verse 6, But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and will be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together Man must not separate. Now, this is pretty strong language. They were, they were want, wanting Jesus to, 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 to answer a question about their own little dispute, but Jesus gave them a hard answer. He says, look, let me tell you what marriage really is. You're looking for ways to divorce. You want to find ways to divorce, and you want to feel okay about your ways to divorce, but let me tell you what God says. From the beginning, God intended for marriage to be between one man and one woman for life, the two shall become one flesh. They shall leave their fathers and their mothers, and they should join together. And marriage really is the only kind of commitment where we see that take place. Now, if you have children, you love your children, you provide for your children, you take care of your children. But eventually, in most circumstances, children grow up, and guess what? They go off and get married, and you may not see them very often. You do give your daughters away, or you do give your sons away. And guess what? The husband and the wife become one flesh, and they start their own family. We're not in a covenant with our children. That's not to say that we don't take care of them and love them and, and, and may not have a relationship with them our whole life. We do. But we don't have that covenant with children that we do with our husband and wife. That's really the only covenant that I could think of where you make a commitment that is to be a lifelong commitment. And even when your kids are long gone, guess who you still have? You still have your husband and your wife. And your children go and they make their commitment with their husband and their wife, and they begin their family. And it goes on and on and on. And the commitment that we make with our husbands and with our wives is to be a lifelong commitment, at least in the eyes of God, at least in what the Bible says. But that's not what our world says. Our world doesn't view a marriage as a... As a, as a important covenant. Uh, our world views most people, or many people I should say, uh, as an unbinding contract. They don't really care if they uphold the contract or not. When we think of contracts, we probably think of business contracts. We all sign contracts, and, and when you sign any kind of contract, whether it's buying a car or a house, you know you got to sign 27 pieces of paper to, to say, look, I'm going I'm to fulfill my obligation to this contract. And guess what? In many of those cases, people don't fulfill their obligation. Even though they said, I'm going to pay this money back, guess what? They don't. No matter if they sign a thousand pieces of paper, it doesn't matter. Because commitment is not made by our hand signing a piece of paper. Commitment is made in the heart. If we, if we say, look, I'm building a house, I'm buying a car, I'm signing, I'm going to pay it back. Sometimes it's going to be difficult, but I'm standing by my word. I have integrity. I have agreed to this contract, and I'm going to fulfill it. But even earthly contracts for homes and cars, they eventually will end. We'll eventually pay them off and our contract will be done. We will have met our obligation to pay back. But in marriage, it's not an unbinding contract that can end at any moment. It is to be a covenant that is supposed to be lifelong. 
Our marriage is not formed because we sign a marriage license. Our marriage is formed when with our heart we say to our spouse and we say before God, I'm going to take care of you and provide for you and be there for you and I'm going to put your needs above my own. That's the real, that's the real hiccup with marriage today. We live in a world where people are becoming more and more selfish. Selfish people should not get married. It's probably not going to work very long. Jesus says, look, marriage that is before God is supposed to be a marriage that will always last. Verse 10. Now in the house the disciples questioned him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. Also, if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Now, boy, if we just had those two verses right there to look at, that would be pretty scary. But thankfully, we have Jesus' explanation and his exception clause that Mark tells us, except for in the case of sexual immorality. If one spouse has cheated on another spouse, then Jesus says you can leave that marriage and it's not considered to be a sinful thing. Now, the Pharisees are an interesting group of people because they're always trying to trick Jesus and they always think that they are living by the law, but really they don't care about the law. They only care about themselves. In John chapter 8, there's a woman who was brought before Jesus who was caught in adultery. The Pharisees bring him to him and they say, Look, look, Jesus. Hey, this woman here, she was, she was caught in adultery. And you know what the law says, Jesus? The law says, hey, Anybody caught in adultery, they're to be killed. They came with the stones in their hand. They were ready to enforce the law for the adultery that had taken place. And they were correct. The law does say that. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10. The law says that if a man and a woman are caught in adultery, they are to be killed, both the man and the woman. But when the Pharisees brought the woman before Jesus in John chapter 8, where was the man? He was to be killed for adultery too. And if she was caught in adultery, then surely they knew who the man was. So it doesn't appear that they were too concerned with fulfilling the law and carrying out what the law said, or else they would have brought the man. They probably didn't have too high of a view of women. That's why they brought the woman. They thought they were holier than thou. They wanted to trick Jesus and catch him uh, then and see what he was going to say. And as Jesus almost always does, boy, he threw him for a loop. Okay. This woman committed adultery. It's undeniable. Some of us in this room may be guilty of the same thing. And Jesus told the crowd that was there, he said, All right, I'll tell you what. Whoever here has never sinned before, you go ahead and throw your stone first. I can imagine the people kind of looking at each other, kind of looking down at the ground, kind of ashamed. They begin to put their stones on the ground and they begin to turn and walk away. And Jesus looked at the woman and he said, Where are your accusers? Is there no one here to condemn you? And she said, No, Lord. And he said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. Isn't that good stuff? That Jesus gives us grace. Now Jesus knew what the law was. But instead Jesus said, I'm not going to condemn you. 
you have sinned. I know you have sinned. You know you have sinned. These people who are before you know you have sinned, and they know that they have sinned. But Jesus said, I'm not going to condemn you in your sin. I'm going to forgive you in your sin. So go and sin no more. Now praise the Lord for that. That's great, right? That's great that even in broken marriages that we ended when we shouldn't, even if we are the guilty party and committed adultery, we should not take that lightly. We should not say if we're in a bad marriage, well, I'm just going to end it and God will forgive me. That should not be our attitude. Our attitude should be, God, I have made this commitment. I have entered into this covenant, and it is hard, but I am going to do all I can to see that this marriage will survive. And even sometimes when we do all we can, we cannot keep our marriages together. There are times in bad marriages where one spouse will simply leave another and there is nothing that can be done about it. We'll talk about that next week. There is much more to be said than we have time to say today. We need to recognize that divorce is wrong, and hopefully we do. It's pretty clear through Scripture we can't. We can't escape that. But there are many other sins that are wrong as well. And we may be quick to judge those who have committed adultery or had a divorce. But perhaps it would behoove us to listen to the words of Jesus. You who are without sin cast the first stone. But I believe it should be our goals, Christians, to do our best to maintain our marriages to restore our broken marriages. That should also be the goal of us Christians for our friends and for our family and for our church members who are going through difficult times. That we are there to support them as good as we can. But even when divorce occurs or any other sin occurs, Jesus says, look, if you come to me, if you repent, if you ask for my forgiveness, Jesus said, I didn't, come to con- I, I didn't come to condemn the world. I came to save the world, John 3, 17. And when we recognize that there is that sin in our life, whether it's divorce in our past or any other sin, the words of Jesus are just as true to us no matter what our sin may be. You've repented of it, praise the Lord. There's forgiveness there. Now go and sin no more. Let's pray. God, we come to you this morning. We thank you for these good words. And this is tough, and there's more to say. So, God, I pray that as we discuss this more in the, in the weeks to come, that you would just help us to, to understand some of the difficulties of marriage and other, uh, other scriptures that talk about marriage and divorce, dear Lord, that we can understand as best we can. And, God, I pray that if there's one in this room that maybe they have had a failed marriage in the past, God, I pray that they would know that there is forgiveness for that. They may feel condemned, and they may feel guilty, and God, perhaps it was even their fault that the marriage ended. But even still, dear Lord, when they come to you, there is forgiveness. And so, God, I pray that they would escape that condemnation of the day, and they would find your grace. God, I pray that for anybody in this room in any sin that we would just simply repent, that we would turn from our sin, that we would turn to you, that we would seek you, that we would find that restoration in our life. God, if there's one in a 
difficult marriage today, I pray for a restoration. God, I pray that you just help us to be the husbands and the wives that you want us to be. God, there may be times where our wives are unlovable or our husbands are unlovable. And God, I pray that you give us patience. I pray that you give us love. God, I pray that you help us to seek other brothers and sisters in Christ, maybe, when we're struggling. We're embarrassed, we're ashamed, maybe, when our marriages aren't going good. When one spouse is treating another wrong, dear Lord. But I pray, God, that we would seek one another for help, for guidance, for protection in situations that are really bad, dear Lord. And that we, as brothers and sisters in Christ, would be there for those who may be in those situations, God. I pray, dear Lord, that you would help us to understand the significance of the marriage covenant that we make. I pray that you would help those that aren't married, but perhaps one day will consider it. Help them to know that it's a serious thing. Help them not to make that commitment, God, if they're not ready to stand by that commitment. And help those of us who are married, God, to stand by it even when it's tough. I pray that if there's one that's never followed Jesus today, that's never trusted him, that they would come before him as that woman did in John chapter 8. Guilty of their sin, but coming before the Savior of the world and asking for forgiveness. And knowing that he says, I forgive you. God, if there's one that hadn't experienced that forgiveness today by trusting in him, I pray that they would do so. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's service. To learn more about Jesus, call or text Pastor Shan at 601-657-0180 or email him at shanvn at me.com. You can also visit us at www.enterprisebaptist.church or follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash ebcliberty. We hope that you have been blessed by today's service.